Somebody say, Jesus, take the wheel. I had a buddy growing up, when he got his permit, every time he would go out and drive with his mom, they would almost get in a wreck. And it wasn't because he was that bad of a driver, but because every time his mom would get nervous, she would reach over to grab the steering wheel. And so they ended up buying her a fake steering wheel and then put it in the passenger seat. So whenever she would get nervous, she could just take it and kind of freak out on her own in the passenger seat. I thought about buying a steering wheel and putting it under Pastor Steve's seat. So anytime he gets nervous of me being up here, he can just sit over there and <laughs> steer the wheel, right? And a shout out to Pastor Steve. He's actually at our Fishers campus today. And in this season, him and I alternating back and forth is giving both him and I the opportunity to attend all of our different campuses, to say hi to our church family that is spread all throughout central Indiana. And anyone just excited to be a part of a wonderful church that God is blessing and doing some remarkable things. So whoever you are, wherever you are, we are glad that you are joining us, especially those of you behind bars that you are leaning into this conversation. We believe God is at work among you, those watching on YouTube and those listening on a podcast. Every single week, it never seems to fail. Someone listens to this message or our messages after the fact. And a lot of people listen to it on podcast. And so maybe, just maybe, someone is listening to this right now on a Wednesday is what they'll be listening to it as. And they're on the treadmill, and don't you be lazy. Turn it up a little bit. You gotta burn off that pizza. Get it done. Can we just cheer them on so they don't quit? <laughs> Never know who's listening, right? Well, I'm excited, and if you don't know me, my name is CJ Johnson. I've been here for about 10 weeks, and I'm having the time of my life getting to serve on this team with just so many wonderful people and leaders and just getting to see what God does next in and through our church. And... I will say on the outset of this, to state the obvious, I'm not really skilled in a lot of areas. Uh, that seems pretty obvious to some. If you talk to my wife, she'll affirm that. Um, but for me, I'm simply just a pastor. I mean, that is my lot in life, and I absolutely love it. I love and adore people, even the crazy ones, even the angry ones, even the ones who are just getting it wrong a lot of times in life. It's those people that I just love dearly. In addition to that, I am obsessed with Jesus Christ. I think he's the coolest person to ever step foot on this planet. I'm convinced of it. And in addition to that, and this is a hefty thought, so brace yourself, but I am convinced that the Bible is the infallible and inerrant word of God, meaning it is without error. I, I, I do believe that. And I didn't always believe that. When I was new to the faith, I, I found myself hung up on some things. At times, I even thought scripture came with some errors, maybe even some contradictions. I discovered I was wrong and God was right. If you follow him long enough, you'll discover he's right most of the time. In fact, he's right all of the time. And what I did discover in my life and what I, I pray you will discover in yours as you pursue a relationship with Christ is how do you really develop and how do you accelerate your spiritual growth and development? And here's a key that you need to take away, and that is this. Going deeper is the key to going higher. Going deeper is the key to going higher. And so sometimes it's recognizing God will elevate my life and God will accelerate my development the more I dive deeper into the things of God, the more I dive deeper into the word of God. So sometimes when you come to church, you need to, in your mind, almost think you're showing up with a shovel. I'm here to mine out what God has next in my life. I grew up 
uh, fascinated by dinosaurs. Anyone else? You just love dinosaurs? I grew up in Colorado for a stint, and the Colorado State dinosaur is the Stegosaurus. It's the cat with the long tail and the spikes on it, right? I thought he was pretty awesome. But I found myself fascinated with dinosaurs growing up. And the question in my mind was, how do we know all this information about dinosaurs? I mean, they can tell you, hey, T-Rex, this is what they ate. This is how fast they could run. I'm like, wow, that is amazing. I recently read an article that they now believe the T-Rex had feathers. And I'm thinking to myself, you got all of that from some bones? Like, it makes me want them to dig up my grandfather because there's some questions I have about him. <laughs> all of that from some bones. And chances are, we're gonna get into today's passage and you're gonna think to yourself, you got all of that from this passage. But we're gonna do a deep dive into something that I think is pretty profound. And in this series, my prayer is that you would begin living eyes wide open, bumping into the reality that God is with you, God is for you, and he seeks to do the unthinkable in and through your life. That maybe, just maybe, if you were to posture yourself a little bit differently, you would find yourself experiencing God and walking away from situations thinking, there was Jesus. There he was. In the midst of it all, there was Jesus. And sometimes it'll come in ways that you would not expect. That is kind of the theme of this series, experiencing extravagant grace in unexpected places. There's a man in scripture who bumped into some extravagant grace in an unexpected way. And it comes to us in the book of Mark. And it says, they came to Bethsaida. Now that's a key detail we're gonna come back on. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. And they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were open. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And check this out. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Don't even go into the village. I, I think the scriptures are just fascinating. I think church is a BYOB kind of party. You ever been to one of those kind of parties? Sure you have, come on, don't be too churchy. A lot of you've been to a BYOB kind of party. Well, this is one of those. A Little different from the one you attended, this is a bring your own Bible kind of party, right? And maybe just maybe you will find yourself wanting to bring your scriptures with you as we gather together. I find that if you don't bring it to church, chances are you won't bring it anywhere else. <laughs> too much too soon? And this is the new guy. <laughs> hey, don't fret. Pastor Steve will be back in two weeks, right? He'll make all things right. And uh, anyone just love Pastor Steve? I just think he's amazing. I was with him this last week, and I just found myself thinking, my goodness, this guy sneezes wisdom, right? <laughs> just sneezes it out. But I do think if you show me a Bible that's falling apart, I'll show you a life that's not. You show me someone who's a student of God's word and they just get into it. They roll around in it and they just are fixated 
on God's divine revelation, I'm telling you, you will find a life that is fortified. You'll find a person with a different confidence, a different clarity and wisdom. I'm convinced that the Bible is just humanity's greatest treasure. I just am convinced of it. And in this, you, you find Jesus coming to a town called Bethsaida. We're gonna come back to that. Some individuals bring a blind man to Jesus. And it says Jesus extends a hand. And he reaches out and he takes the man by the hand and he leads him outside of the city to get away from everybody else. And here's what you have to understand and here's what immediately you see in the, in the interaction with Jesus and you see him modeling this all throughout scripture. And that is this, offered hands preceded offered hearts. I love this about our Jesus, that he's so kind, so thoughtful, so intentional, and again, such a gentleman. And he comes to this man and he, he extends a hand. And some of you, I pray you wake up to the reality that this savior of ours has outstretched his hand in your direction. And if you were to place your hand in his hand, you would be amazed by what Jesus could do in and through your life. You would be amazed as to the journey he would take you on if you would follow him and you would receive his outstretched hand. Jesus is he's just remarkable in this way. This is why I always tell people, true evangelism is telling people how loved they are, not how lost they are. Now some folks will push back on that and I actually understand where they're coming from. Maybe it was their upbringing or maybe it was a sermon they heard or, or maybe it was even something they read in the Bible, something Jesus said. Jesus himself said, I came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus preached and told about the lost. So we have to emphasize the lost, and I agree with that. But here's where we miss it, and we take it out of context. When did Jesus talk about the lost? Luke chapter 15, please go home, open your Bible, and read it. Luke chapter 15 begins, and it says, Jesus was gathered there together with sinners and tax collectors. And then there's this, there's this statement that says the Pharisees and the leaders of the law, they muttered, why does this man eat with sinners and tax collectors? And that is almost verbatim what the passage begins. Have you ever found that sometimes people mutter when they see the love of God being displayed in the lives of those who follow Christ? They mutter. Sometimes, sometimes we bump into some angry Christians. Why are we loving these people, right? You ever bumped into that? How far are we gonna take this love thing? Well, how far did Jesus take it? Right, all the way to the cross, and until you are hanging on a cross, naked, being executed by some Romans, don't worry about taking it too far. This is how much God loves the world. Jesus turns around to these religious elite, these individuals who are just propped up with self-righteousness, and he says, it's like a shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one sheep. And he tells the parable of the lost sheep. And as if that's not clear, he then tells the parable of the lost coin. And if that's not clear enough, he then tells the parable of the lost son. And church, here's what I'm driving home. And get this. When Jesus spoke about the lost, he was talking to the found. When Jesus spoke about the lost, he was speaking to the found. 
What is so profound about Jesus is it was when people felt at home with Jesus that they discovered they were lost without him. Oh, come on, church. (laughs) When people felt at home with Jesus, they discovered they were lost without him. Wait a second, this has been available to me this entire time? This wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this prince of peace, this savior of the world, this unconditional love, this has been available to me? People start walking away thinking, man, I was lost and I didn't know it. I, I think it's really important to understand this. Scripture tells us in the book of Romans, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. His kindness that leads us to repentance. It is his kindness that is the remedy to our blindness. It is his kindness that is the remedy to our blindness. Say that with me. Say, it is his kindness that is the remedy to our blindness. And maybe, just maybe, if we're followers of Christ, we should start modeling that behavior. Because here's what Jesus proves to us. And here's where I think we're getting it wrong. Church, we don't have to be abrasive to be persuasive. That's a culture value, not a kingdom value. We don't have to be abrasive to be persuasive. And Jesus, he, he loved well. And this will be a struggle for some because there is a spectrum. There is a spectrum, and on one side is the spineless, and on the other side is the heartless. And track with me, because this is not to be a dig on anybody, but at some point we all find ourselves on the spectrum, from being spineless and not standing for anything in our faith, where we dilute everything and we live with no conviction, to being heartless, where we're not a true reflection of a God who loves the world dearly. And it's just saying, God, is there an area in my life that I need to grow in? Also, I can look more and more like you, right? And so wherever you are on the spectrum, give it to God and say, would you transform my character to look more like you? And what would happen if you and I started living with outstretched hands? Also that maybe someone might offer their heart. Now know this, some of you, you're not a Christian and you do. You need to repent of your sin. I pray you fully surrender your life to Christ. And that is not to come down on anybody. And it's certainly not to say God is mad at you. But it is to say God is mad about you. Our God loves you so dearly that he has done the unthinkable on behalf of you. And I pray that his kindness would heal your blindness. And I pray that you would give your life to Christ. There's so much in this passage that you could talk about. And so many things that are just, I think, pretty remarkable. And the first thing that we come across is the method. It's the method. What you find in this passage is Jesus approaches this miracle in a very unique way. You find that Jesus, at times, would switch up his approach. He would do something different. And this one is unique for several reasons, but one of the main reasons is, is this is a progressive miracle. So it says that Jesus spits on the man's eyes, and the man could see, but what he could see was inaccurate. Jesus touches him again, and then he could see everything. There's a a progression to this miracle. Are you tracking with me? 
And I think what happens is, is we misinterpret God's activity in our life because we don't understand the method that he's using. And some of you, maybe just maybe, God is doing something progressive in your life, and it may not be happening immediately, but I promise you, it is happening gradually. And I can say that with confidence, because that's my story. People have asked me, what does CJ stand for? And technically, I'm not a CJ. My name is Christopher Craig Johnson. So my tip, you know, actual initials are CCJ, right? I've been CCing before email was a thing. <laughs> but the reason why I became a CJ was because of my speech impediment. Couldn't say Christopher, so they abbreviated it for me. I was born legally deaf, had six surgeries on my ears, went through 19 years of speech therapy. And there is nothing in my life that has created more turmoil, more frustration, more insecurity, and more tears than my bout with my speech. When I was 19 years old, I'm playing college basketball and I'm still seeing a speech pathologist. I went to meet with my, my speech therapist and most speech therapists only work with kids. And so I go into this room and the whole room is set up for small children. I sit down on this small little blue plastic chair. And like always, we began going through our flashcards. They would make me do all these alliterations and recite all these rhymes as quickly as I can. And they would make me go through the alphabet as fast as I could. And as you would imagine, again, these were all tools that were geared towards kids. So when we were going through the alphabet, they were Sesame Street cards. And the one card I could not get, and I still carry around to this day, was this one. Which if I ever see Ernie in a back alley, we are throwing down. <laughs> I'm going to tear that puppet up. <laughs> see, when you're a little kid, and you can't say brother, you say buada, it's cute. But not when you're 19 and have some issues with pride and arrogance. It's embarrassing. And they kept coming to this stupid card. I couldn't get it. So I get mad, and at the time, as you would imagine, I lack some composure, and I push over the seat, and I storm out. That was my last speech therapist appointment. I later give my life to Christ. I transfer to this small Bible college, and I just have this burning desire to tell people about Jesus. I sign up for a preaching class, and I absolutely bombed, got an F <laughs> on my first assignment, which I know some of you are thinking, great, and this is the guy. <laughs> This is him. My professor, who is a wonderful man, pulled me aside afterwards and he said, CJ, it's just too distracting. I love your heart. And there's a lot of things you can do in the ministry. But when you speak, they're not even hearing the message. All they're paying attention to is your speech impediment, which I appreciated the feedback. I was fully aware of it. I just wanted to tell people about Jesus. And so coming out of college, I wasn't offered any internships, definitely didn't have any job offers, didn't come out with some spiritual roaring momentum. I just came out, <laughs> all right? And Chris and I started attending the small church, about 70 people, and they let me start a youth small group, the two of us and six kids. And it was amazing. 
which I would just say for anyone in the room who is not serving on a team, you have no idea what you're missing out. When you give your life to the cause of Christ and you begin serving others, something profound takes place in your life. Serving is a delight, not a duty. And it is so fulfilling. I think we best look like Christ when we serve. And so if you're not on a team, what are you waiting for, right? I think the path to significance is marked with service. And that has certainly been the case in my life. So we start this small group and one week the senior pastor says, hey, we're going out of town for a family vacation and I'm going to have you preach on Sunday to the adults, which to me was terrifying. 70 people in a room. At the time, we had youth group on Wednesday nights. Kristen and I would go up to the church on Tuesday nights and I would have to verbatim manuscript my sermons. And I would have to preach it two or three times to Kristen in an empty room on a Tuesday night just to get it down so my tongue wouldn't get twisted so I could do it on Wednesday night to six kids. And now this man wants me to preach to 70 adults. I get up there on Sunday and I preach the message and at the end of the message, all these people came forward. And it's not because I gave an altar call and I can guarantee it wasn't because it was a good message. But Kristen was towards the front of the group And as she approached the front, she said, babe, it's gone. And in that moment, God took my speech impediment, and I've been healed ever since. That's my story. And here's what is so interesting to me, and this is where God is just marvelous in my eyes, is the one thing that created so much pain for me was also the one thing that shaped the greatest gift in me. People always laugh about my, my statements and I love creating different alliterations and rhymes and things that help people remember the sermon. And I'm convinced that was a gift that was honed in years of just speech therapy and going through alliterations and rhymes for 19 years. Here's what I wanna encourage some of you and that is this. Don't allow his deviation to become your devastation. What happens is, is we come to God and and we expect him to work in certain ways. We even pray bold prayers with a very specific target. God, do this and do it now. And then God doesn't do it the way we'd hope. And we get frustrated. And a lot of times we miss or we forfeit what God was intending to do. Because God took a deviated route and we got devastated. And we interpreted his delay as his denial. Don't do that. See, what you have to understand is when a relationship lacks dimension, one's identity is diminished. Now, don't track with me on this. When a relationship lacks dimension, one's identity is diminished. And so if you only have a one-sided relationship and a single experience with a person, well, that's all you know them to be. And a lot of times it has to come with a, a diversity of experiences within the relationship for you to fully appreciate the person, right? And so some of you, you gave your life to Christ and, and your experience with him has been one dimensional, that he's all loving and he's forgiving and he has provided you with grace. But there is more to this Jesus that chances are you're missing out on. Again, he's a wonderful counselor. The man is brilliant. He is the prince of peace in a way that surpasses understanding. He is a mighty God in which he does the heavy lifting in our life. 
I mean, he is our rock. He is our redeemer. He's our shield and our reward. He's the lamb of God and the lion of Judah. He's all the things, the good shepherd, the living water, the true vine. There is a lot to this Jesus. There's a lot to him. And so it's not being limited in your experience. And if you become one dimensional, you miss out on all that there is to this God. And Jesus at times would, he would do things. Everything has intention. That's what you have to understand. When you approach scripture, nothing is by chance and nothing is by accident. He was so intentional. And Jesus at times would do extreme things to make an obvious example. You ever had someone use an extreme example to get a point across? Like growing up, when your parents would talk to you about peer pressure, they would say, so if your friends told you to jump off a bridge, would you do it? And the answer is an obvious no, right? Growing up, which was funny, there was a bridge by our house and underneath it was the river. And some of my friends had an idea, we should jump off of this, to which I did. Ever remember a conversation with your dad growing up where he was so frustrated and flabbergasted he didn't even have the words? That was a conversation with my dad. My dad was so frustrated. So you're telling me I raised a son who says yes to the obvious no. Do you realize that this is the example that parents give their kids as to how to refuse peer pressure? If someone told you to jump off a bridge, would you do it? No. You're telling me I raised a son who said yes. And uh, he was flabbergasted. Sometimes Jesus will use an extreme example to be like, oh, I get it. I get the point. And in this moment, Jesus does something out of the ordinary. And he hawks a loogie <laughs> on this guy's eyes. Uh, come on, Christians, you're reading the same Bible I'm reading. Don't forget the sound effects that came with this scripture. <laughs> Look, she's so uncomfortable. It's there, right? It's there. That is a different approach. What would happen if you lived with so much faith, you were open to God taking a different approach? So there's the method. The second thing I wanna point out is the mindset. Guys, this is really important. I think it is this man's mindset that set him up for a really profound interaction with God. And I love creating distinctions. I believe small distinctions make a big difference. And here's a distinction for you. There's a big difference between a full mind and being mindful. Some of you, you have a full mind. Because in the world we live, there's a lot to weigh on it. Have you ever found that there's just so many things competing for your attention? And church, know what you give attention to, you give power to. And there's things that are, I mean, they're just trying to shape our logic, shape our preferences, shape our opinions. They're always combating the different logics and paradigms that we have instilled in our mind. And I think the challenge as a follower of Christ is to be mindful, not just have a full mind. Now track with me, and this is gonna be pastoral, but that's what I was hired to be, a pastor. I support the idea of being open-minded 
But you just have to know there are some things that are just pretty narrow-minded. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. That's a narrow mindset. But I would rather walk a narrow path than a slippery slope. And just know that when you live with such an open mind, it permits people to place things in it. And I get nervous when I look at our culture because I think we're, we're starting to live so open-minded, our brains are about to fall out. <laughs> Come on, someone relax a little bit. We're friends and we're gonna get there together. But it is saying, God, would you help me steward the space between my ears? You gifted me with this brain. The following Christ doesn't mean we check our reason at the door. It doesn't mean we dismiss our intellect to engage in this relationship. No, it's saying, God, would you help me be a person who stewards well the intellect and the reason that you've given me? Help me develop some discernment. Because I think one thing we struggle with is exaggerated thinking. And one way we exaggerate thinking is we overestimate the frequency of something. We overestimate the frequency of something. Have you ever been with someone who got a flat tire and they got frustrated and out of their mouth came the statement, story of my life? You ever ran into that? You ever heard someone make the statement, story of my life? I had a buddy who got a flat tire. And that was his response, story of my life. And I was like, wow, when was the last time you had a flat tire? Come to find out, it had been like 10 years. <laughs> but this was the story of his life. And sometimes we do this, we're exaggerating in our thinking and we overestimate the frequency of something. In addition to that, we overestimate the importance of something. Growing up, when we'd make a mistake, what would we say? My mom is going to kill me. As if we were living in a world where moms were knocking off their children. <laughs> but we do this kind of thing. We exaggerate our thinking. And lastly, well, we jump to conclusions without enough information. And I don't even need to give you examples of this because you're living in the same world I live in. We jump to conclusions without enough information. And it is just learning to say, I'm gonna be a mindful person. I'm gonna have some composure within my thinking and I'm going to lean into the wisdom and the discernment that God is trying to impart to me. But what I love about this man is I believe he had a whatever it takes kind of faith. Lord, whatever it takes, let your will be done in my life. Scripture tells us that the man was blind. It doesn't tell us that the man was deaf. So he would have heard what Jesus was gearing up to do. And if you're in that position, and I know if I'm in that position because I'm a germaphobe, I'm going like this immediately, right? Or I'm doing like the Matrix deal, like, no, <laughs> miss me on this one. That's gross. How many of you would agree when you look at this, it's gross. But here's what I want you to take away. It was gross, but it was gross. That word has two meanings. And some of you have a pretty impressive gross income, right? <laughs> that it can, be, it can mean undesirable, but it can also mean profit. It was gross, but it was gross. You will lean into your relationship with God and you will discover, well, some things are gross, but they're gross. Reconciliation is gross. 
You want God to heal your family, restore some relationships, get everyone in the room and get it all out on the table? My goodness, that's gonna be gross because we come up short in life. We let each other down. We go sideways in our relationships. There's regret and there's anger and there's pain and, and you bring all that to the table and it's gross, but it's gross. And those who are courageous enough to enter a space like that, trusting God to be productive in their family, find that they profit even in undesirable things. It was gross, but it was gross. When God purifies your heart, well, that can be gross. There's some icky things that sometimes corrode our heart, but it's gross. You can profit from it. When God seeks to renew your mind, and there's all these things that are corroding your thinking, dysfunctional thought patterns, well, bring that out can be gross. But it was gross. There was the method and there was the mindset. Well, what happened if you had a whatever it takes kind of faith? The next thing I need to point out is the mirage. Jesus touches them, says, do you see anything? Which let's hang out there, and this isn't in my notes. But if you read the story of creation, Jesus speaks everything into existence. And then it comes to man. And it says he formed man out of the dust. That up until that point, creation was spoken, but it was a touch from God that humanity required. And I believe humanity has required a touch from God ever since. And in this moment, Jesus touches them and says, what do you see? And he says, I see people walking around like trees. Well, that doesn't happen. In this moment, this man has an inaccurate perspective or view on the world. His understanding of the, the world around him is, well, it's warped. And chances are, and I don't know who you are, I'm not that good to press on specific issues with each individual, but the Holy Spirit is. But I wonder if there's anything in your life that God would say, uh, you might have a warped perspective there. This man thinks, I see trees, I see people walking around like trees. And the question is, or did he see trees walking around like people? Either way, inaccurate, correct? What this is exposing is this man had an inferior mindset. He had come up in this state and condition that he assumed the people around him were such a bigger deal than he was. He, he was bound by insecurity, bound by inadequacy. So when he was finally able to see, he assumed that people were the size of trees in comparison to him. It was a, it was a warped perspective. Some of you, when you look in the mirror, you have a warped perspective. And here's what you need to know. People are not as impressive as they appear. Social media is fake. And you're not as embarrassing as you assume. And it's just leaning in to the reality that there comes moments in our relationship with God where he seeks to alter our view and our perspective. I mean, think about growing up, they had these things called magic eye posters. Remember these? This was our generation's fidget spinner. We would sit in a library and stare at these pictures, which was always frustrating to me because I could never see it. 
person next to me would be freaking out. I see dolphins. And I'm like, I see nothing. And what is amazing about these pictures is there's actually a lot of science behind it that traces back to 1828 and cognitive psychologists. And what they discovered through this technology and through this science is, get this, depth perception is a function of the brain, not the eyes. I'm gonna say that again. Depth perception is a function of the brain, not the eyes. In other words, things are not always as they appear. And so it's saying, God, would you help me see with a greater depth and understanding? Would you give me wisdom? Would you give me discernment to navigate my life in this fallen world? And my prayer, and you can take it, but here's a question I ask God. Lord, is there anything in my life that I'm viewing incorrectly? Is there just anything in my life that I'm viewing incorrectly? Here's another way of putting it. Lord, are there any views I need to reconsider? Which amazes me is anytime you start asking questions, people get uncomfortable. And, and I don't know how the Holy Spirit will use a question like this. But if it does create some restlessness, ask yourself this question. Why does this make me uncomfortable? What about this is a, a pressure point for me. Lord, is there anything in my perspective that I have wrong? Is there anything that I'm viewing incorrectly? And I don't know about you guys, but one of my favorite, I don't know, benefits to following Christ is his ability to renew my mind. Scripture says that we are not to conform to the patterns of this world, not to conform to the patterns of this world. Should I say it one more time? We are not to conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds. And know this, as you follow Christ, you're gonna discover there's a significant difference between a morally restrained mind and a supernaturally changed mind. Yeah, you can put all the limitations on your thinking and try to control everything, but sometimes it's not until the God of heaven weighs in on the hardware and the faculties of your mind that he begins to restore and replenish and actually extract some things that are corroding your thinking and is the supernatural touch from God that renews your mind and then transforms your life. And it transforms your life. So what is it? Maybe that God is seeking to say, hey, you have an inaccurate view here and I could provide you with some greater depth and understanding. The last thing I wanna point out is the message. It's the message, I read this passage and I think to myself, Jesus grew up in the 90s. Because at the end of it, Jesus says, don't even go there. Which is what the sassy girls I went to school with used to say, right? Anytime the conversation would go in a direction, they'd get all, you know, Propped up on some attitude and like, don't even go there. They snapped their finger and everything. <laughs> Remember all the funny things we used to say in the 90s? As if, talk to the hand, whatever, all that in a bag of chips, right? Those are our statements. Jesus turns around and he says, don't even go there. Go where? Bethsaida. See, what you find is Jesus comes into the city. These people bring this man to Jesus. 
And Jesus takes him by the hand and leads him outside the city. Because again, he's a gentleman. And in this moment, he's not trying to make a spectacle out of this man. He's trying to do something special in this man. And he takes him outside the city. Some of you need to know that there, well, there's only certain things that Jesus can accomplish in your life. People can only take you so far, but it's taking the hand of Christ that really gets life to the fullest in and through our life. And takes him outside the city. And what you find is Jesus, well, he could see right through the individuals who were accompanying this man. These were sensationalists. These were individuals seeking to be entertained. These were individuals belonging to the community of Bethsaida, which at one point Jesus would lean in on Bethsaida and he would say this in Matthew chapter 11, woe to you, which you should know, Jesus only was hard on the people on the inner circle. It was interesting how he was always leaning in on people who should have got it. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. I mean, they would have, they would have meant it. And Bethsaida is a unique city. It was actually the hometown of Peter and some of the other disciples. And Bethsaida was the, you know, the, I don't know, the place in which a lot of Jesus' miracles took place. In fact, Jesus' biggest miracle ever is when he fed over 5,000 men, not including women and children, with a couple loaves and some fish. That was his biggest miracle ever. And it happened near Bethsaida. And then what it's saying is, is I did all these wonderful things, yet you still didn't believe. And so he's calling out Bethsaida. And what he is saying to this man is don't go and throw yourself into a hostile environment that is going to rip apart my work in your life. See, sometimes we do this. like We give our lives to Christ or we take a next step in our faith and we begin pursuing him but then we are not mindful as to how do we steward his work in our life and then we keep placing ourselves in hostile environments that just rip apart his productivity. And here's the thing, if you're gonna live for Christ, he's gonna do some amazing things in your life. And I promise you, people are gonna pick at it. God's gonna heal your marriage and you're gonna have some sideways friends in your life who think, well, God didn't heal your marriage. You just started making different decisions. And you know deep down inside, actually it was God who was behind it all. Yes, decisions were the byproduct of his work, but they will pick it apart. And here's what you need to know. If people can't dismantle God's work, they'll try to dismiss God's work. So they'll try to pick it apart, and the moment they can't pick it apart, they'll just ostracize you. And they'll almost create a weird form of shame connected to what God is doing in your life. It's being mindful, hey, God's doing some things in me. I'm not going to be reckless and careless as to who I allow to speak into my life and into his productivity. Another way of saying it is if people can't disprove your miracle, they'll try to dispute your miracle. I've had people try to dispute mine. God didn't heal you. You had six surgeries on your ears. You went through 19 years of speech therapy. Those things healed you. And sure, they were the instrument, 
in the hand of a marvelous God. Don't allow someone to disprove or dis- dispute what God is doing in and through your life. And Jesus says, hey, don't even go there. You know, there's this one moment where Jesus feeds over 4,000 people by providing bread. It's this amazing miracle. There's two instances where this happens. One's 5,000, one is 4,000. So he does this amazing miracle. There's all this bread left over. And they are heading down to the boat. Him and his disciples are gonna head across the sea. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees come up and they start critiquing. And they start projecting their skepticism onto Jesus and his disciples. And check this out. Matthew chapter 16, it says, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Here, they get out to the boat and if you read the whole passage, they're hungry and they don't have any bread. And Jesus is like, what did you do with all the leftovers? I just fed 4,000 people. We had baskets upon baskets left over. And you left it all on the shore because of one clunky interaction with some boneheads? You forfeited your miracle? And this happens all the time. In fact, it's gonna happen to some of you today. You're gonna show up, have an encounter with God in worship. You're gonna show up and hear a word from God from scripture and you're gonna leave and you're gonna open your social media account and there it goes. Something that's gonna rob you of God's work. You're gonna go home and you're gonna sit down at the table and you're gonna turn on the TV and here comes the news and it's just gonna rip God's work right out of your life and you're just gonna lay it all down and get distracted by what's coming your way. Or this week, you're gonna gather together as a family for Thanksgiving. And in my family, I've got some crazy uncles. Chances are, so do you. And you're gonna lay it down. And my prayer is that you would steward well God's work in your life. That you would be mindful that if I'm gonna live for Christ, I can't be carelessly and I can't be overly casual in my pursuit of him. And he's doing some wonderful things in my life. And I'm going, I'm going to steward it well. Because church, the question you need to answer or ask yourself is are there any people in my life who are having a negative influence on my perspective? How you answer that, that's up to you. What you do with that answer, that's up to you. But again, it's saying, Lord, are there any people who are having a negative influence on my perspective? Because church, you have to taste the blessing before you let people test the blessing. Don't just run off letting people rip it apart. Take some time to enjoy what God is doing. Another way of saying it is you have to enjoy God's work before others try to destroy God's work. And I promise you, if you do this, his work in your life will envelop and you'll be amazed as to what he can do in and through you. And so he opens his eyes again and it says he could see clearly.
And when he opens his eyes, who does he see? Jesus. There was Jesus. And my prayer again is you bump in to situations where you walk away thinking, there was Jesus. Can I pray with you? We're gonna pray and the worship team's gonna come forward and bless us with a song. And I just want you to take in these lyrics. The song has ministered to Kristen. And I believe it'll do the same for you. But Lord, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your outstretched hand. Thank you for loving us well and thank you for going to the cross all so that you could provide a grace that covers a multitude of sins. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around in this room. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you wanna place your faith in him today, I don't want you to hesitate and I don't want you to be bashful. This is the best decision you could ever make in your life. And no one's looking around. We're not here to make a public spectacle of you, but we do wanna pray and celebrate your decision to follow Christ. And if that is you, on the count of three, I just want you to slip your hand up so we can pray together as a church. One, two, three. Go ahead and slip those hands up. Outstanding. Anyone else? Come on. I see you in the back over there as well. Amazing. Hands up everywhere. Come on. If there's anyone else in the room who you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, now's the time to make the best decision you'll ever make. Anyone else? Church, all together so we don't leave our friends on an island, pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for me for my sins. Today, I ask for your forgiveness. Would you come into my life, be my Lord, my Savior, my God, and my King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, can we celebrate a number of individuals giving their life to Christ?